we are going to be looking at Mark 7, verses 24 through 37. If you remember last week, um, Drew spoke uh, about the, the first section of Mark, which is where Jesus turns the tables on the religious leaders of the day, and in their unbelief in Jesus, they question, why are your disciples not doing the ceremonial cleansing of the hands? Why are they not washing before they eat? And Jesus rebukes them by saying, it's not what goes into the the body that defiles a man, for that comes out, but it's what comes out of the man that shows what's in his heart. So what what comes out is actually what defiles, because that gives us a view into the person's heart. Um, Anything we do, whether good or evil, starts here, starts inside. Um, So the text we're looking at today shows Jesus acting out on what he just taught to, uh, or what he just said to the Pharisees. Uh, We we see him him enact what he thinks of of defilement. So my wife Katie is going to come up and read today's scripture. Can't make funny faces at me. I'm going to laugh. <laughs> Sorry. Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it, yet he could not keep his presence secret. In fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose daughter was possessed by an impure spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek, born in Syrian Phoenicia. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. First, let the children eat all they want, he told her, for it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Lord, she replied, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he told her, for such a reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. She went home and found her child lying on the bed and the demon gone. Then Jesus left the vicinity of Tyre and went through Sidon, down to the Sea of Galilee and into the region of the Decapolis. There some people brought to him a man who was deaf and could hardly talk, and they begged Jesus to place his hand on him. After he took him aside, away from the crowd, Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears. Then he spit and touched the man's tongue. He looked up to heaven and with a deep sigh said to him, Epaphra, which means be opened. At this, the man's ears were opened, his tongue was loosened, and he began to speak plainly. Jesus commanded them not to tell anyone, but the more he did so, the more they kept talking about it. People were overwhelmed with amazement. He has done everything well, they said. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. This is the word of the Lord. All right, so we'll dive right in. Um, as, you, as you probably caught, we kind of get two different stories here. We get the first section about uh, the, the Gentile woman, um, and we have the second section about the crowd bringing um, a deaf and, and a man with deafness and a speech impediment. So we'll kind of break down the two stories and then kind of move into how they both can uh, apply to us today. Um, and I'm, I'm going to be reading from uh, my Bible is an NASB Bible. Uh, that's kind of what... When I was going to Biola, when I first started, that was the official Biola Bible, and then they changed it to ESV as soon as I got there, but I got this, and it was too late, so um, if some of the wording is a little bit different, that's, the, that's why um, I'm actually reading out of uh, this one. That's the one I was studying this week, so um, we'll start back. We'll kind of just, we'll just go through it um, verse by verse, section by section. Uh, 
verse 24, Jesus got up and went away from there to the region of Tyre. And when he had entered a house, he wanted no one to know of it, yet he could not escape notice. So here, Tyre is, um, is Gentile territory. This is, this is a city that is borders on the Mediterranean Sea. It's one of the main ports. So there's a lot of money coming, coming through Tyre. Um, this is a really uh, important because this is a place where he's, he's removing himself from the Jewish land so that he can, again, find rest. Um, we've seen him try to continually find rest, but people just keep finding him, and, and it's no different here. Uh, so Tyre is about 20 miles northwest of Capernaum, uh, which is kind of a city we, we've touched on a, a few times. So verses 25 and 26, but after hearing of him, a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit immediately came and fell at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile of the Cyphonian, Cyphonian race, excuse me, and she kept asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. So right here, we have a woman, March sets the table for us, says she is a Gentile. She is, uh, she is an enemy of the Jews, essentially. The Jews and Gentiles were the two sects of Jews didn't like the Gentiles, Gentiles didn't like the Jews. It was, this was very, very significant because Mark is writing to a Roman audience here, so Romans would immediately have recognized that, okay, this is somebody that is not, um, they're not on the same page at all. Uh, and this is, we see Jesus right away, right after he has talked about what truly defiles uh, he goes out and he breaks what's socially and politically, politically acceptable. Because a rabbi in that day would never be seen talking to a woman or a Gentile, let alone a Gentile woman. So he is really just, I mean, this is completely backwards from what, um, what you would expect a rabbi, to, how you would expect a rabbi to act in that day. Um, and this is why I think it's appropriate, and Mark kind of, in this whole chapter, Mark has a, a a story arc that continues where he starts it with um, Jesus rebuking the Pharisees for, uh, for, for the way they see defilement, and then he turns around and proves it. He says, look it, I, I don't care about what you think is right or wrong. I'm, I'm going to go and I'm going to, yeah, this woman came before me, but I'm not going to send her away as uh, the rabbis of the day, the Pharisees of the day would have done. Um, and this woman she comes to Jesus and it says that she kept asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. She comes to Jesus out of desperation. We don't get the specifics of what the symptoms are in, in this text. If we skip ahead to, to chapter 9 um, in Mark, we can see, we see uh, the effects of a demon on a, uh, uh, on a boy on a, a, a child. And if we look, uh, starting in verse 17, we see, and one of the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought you my son, possessed with a spirit which makes him mute. So we see muteness. Skipping down to verse 20, it says, they brought the boy to him, or I'm sorry, uh, 18, when it, whenever it seizes him, it slams him to the ground and he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and stiffens out. I told your disciples to cast it out and they could not do it. Skipping down to 20, it says, they brought the, the boy to him when the boy saw Jesus, immediately the spirit threw him into convulsion and falling to the ground, he began rolling around and foaming at the mouth. Jesus asked, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, since, since, from childhood, it has often thrown him both into the fire and into the water to kill him, to destroy him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. So that's, 
that's obviously, that's a, an account of a boy um, that is possessed by a demon. And so we can, uh, we don't, again, we don't have the exact, um, the exact account of, of this woman's daughter. But we, can, we can assume that there's probably some similarities or some, some things that are similar that are going on that are affecting um, this woman's daughter. So if that was one of our kids, we would, have, we would have tried everything. I mean, we would have done everything, right? I mean... We love, I mean, this is her, this is her daughter. This is, this is her, her, uh, her kid. Um, and I think this kind of explains how this woman is able to find Jesus. Um, no doubt when Jesus kind of entered into the, that area, kind of word, word kind of, people started mumbling about, oh, Jesus is coming. Isn't that the guy that, that does these miracles? Isn't that the guy that cast the demon out of, out of this guy, that, you know, that Gentile in, in uh, the area of Decapolis? And so there's, you kind of get the sense that there's these musterings, and this woman probably hears that and says, okay, this knows this guy, this man can heal my daughter. She is so desperate, and it's out of that desperation that she probably goes to no end, to, to every single length to find Jesus. And as soon as she finds him, after she's dropped everything, she goes and she, she falls and bows before, before him. Um, because she knows that this is her only hope. Jesus is her, her last hope. She's tried everything else, no doubt. Um, and this, is, this, again, is a picture of, of this completely backwards, because Gentile, a Gentile, especially from Tyre, would have been probably wealthy, probably a, there's a lot of money there, going to a rabbi that doesn't care about money. I mean, you kind of get this picture of someone with, with wealth coming to someone that's poor and bowing before them. I mean, that's completely backwards. You would expect the poor person to go, you know, to, to the king's palace and bow before him, but it's, it's, it's backwards. Again, it's, it's taking what was socially acceptable and taking it, and, and Mark wants us to see it in his gospel, and he's completely um, making it backwards because Jesus is turning, um, turning the world and their expectations upside down. So verses 27 and 28, he was, and he was saying to her, let the children be satisfied first, for it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, but she answered and said to him, yes, Lord, but even the dogs under the table feed on the children's crumbs. This is, I think, a lot of times where we get caught up, um, because this is, if we put our own lenses on this story, Jesus is being a jerk, right? I mean, he's saying, she's comparing this woman to a dog. Um, and that's, that's we ask this question, is Jesus just ignoring her? Is he, is he testing her? What, what's going on? And I think this is, again, one of those places where Mark wants us to take the whole picture. He doesn't want us to just put, put our lenses on and our context on, but he wants us to take the whole picture of the Gospels. And we wish, obviously, that, Jesus, or that Mark would have included Jesus' body language here. That probably would have made it a lot easier for us to, to understand um, or would have helped us understand uh, at the very least. So when we look at the, the whole picture, when Jesus deals with someone, when Jesus, specifically someone coming to him for healing, we've seen it time and time again that he, he goes and he, go, he, he gets close to them and he speaks their language. He he, he speaks something that, in a way that they would understand. So what is he saying to her here? Um, what's the language he's saying to her? I think he's t- doing a little bit of wordplay. Again, Jews and Gentiles were very much divided. 
um, Jews would call their derogatory term for Gentiles was dogs, um, specifically stray dogs or um, dogs that, that, weren't, that weren't house dogs. These were stray, you know, rabid, rabid dogs. That kind of, that's the picture of what they would call, what Jews would normally call Gentiles. But Jesus, the word that Jesus actually says, we know this from the original Greek, the original text, is not kind of, it's not stray dog or gross, nasty dog. He's saying little dog or pet dog or, or what we would say is a puppy. Um, that's, that's the, the visual um, or the word that he gets. So he's, and I think you'd still, you'd still make a case for that being a little bit like, well, still, I still wouldn't want to be seen as a puppy. But he's, he's setting, he's kind of painting a picture for us that, so that we can understand. And he's painting a picture specifically for this woman. Um, it was not uncommon for, for Gentile families in that day to have uh, small pet dogs. And so think, think of the picture that he's painting for her. Um, she's kind of, he's speaking her domestic language, not a Jewish picture, but a Gentile picture. Um, you have children that are about to sit down and, and eat at the table. And think of, I mean, think of if, you, if you have a dog and you have kids, um, think, of, think of your own, your own dinner table. When the kids sit down, the, what do the dogs do? They just go up and they just sit and they're ready to beg. They're ready for, they're ready for any scraps or any kind of morsel they can get. And as a mom, you wouldn't take the meal you've just prepared and say, all right, my children are hungry, I'm going to feed the dogs first, right? And that's just silly. That's completely, that's completely wrong. And that's, we wouldn't even think of that. It's just, that's, it's, it's almost comical. We kind of get a sense of sarcasm. That's just like, I wouldn't take it to the dogs first. Of course, I'm going to feed the children first. Of course, the, the children are the ones that are going to get the meal. And then maybe if there's some weird veggies or something, they'll kind of hand those under the table. You know, they're, they're gonna, the dogs are going to get the scraps here. Um, but we know, we know from even Jesus' own words that his primary mission was to the Jews. I mean, he's even said it that. And, and Paul, Paul says this um, in Romans where, um, in Romans 1 where he says, Christ, Christ came for all, first to the Jews, then to the Greek, or then to the Gentiles. So the idea is, he's painting this picture of, I have to feed the children first. I have to feed the Jews or the people I was called to feed first. <clears throat> What's amazing, though, is that unlike how we would probably respond and probably be offended and kind of turn our noses at Jesus and maybe, maybe walk out, um, the woman doesn't do that. Instead, uh, she actually has an answer to Jesus' riddle. <laughs> For probably the first time in Mark, and one of the only times in the entire gospel, in any of the gospels, she actually, she actually responds and has a response and doesn't say, what does this mean, you know? Just like the disciples have done this whole time. Uh, she turns the tables to, uh, and says, well, of course you would, you would feed the children first. I mean, any good mother would, of course, feed the children first, and then they would feed, you know, the, the, the pets. And it's, it's not out of pride or spite that she answers. It's out of this deep humility and desperation. Again, she's, she's here because she knows that Jesus is the only hope for her daughter to be saved, the only hope for her, the demon to be gone out of her daughter. So she doesn't turn her head. She doesn't, doesn't get puffed up. She responds, and she says, of course, that's what, that's what would happen. And then she says, yes, Lord, even the dogs under the table feed on the children's crumbs. She gets it. She says, yes, feed the Jews first, but 
you've already fed a lot of the Jews and a lot of them haven't even taken a bite. I mean, the Pharisees, they don't want anything to do with the meal Jesus has to offer. They don't want anything to do with it. Even the disciples, they're, they're eating it, but they're, they're still not getting it. And so the woman very wisely recognizes that there are leftovers. And she said, even she says, all I need is a crumb. All I need is the thing that comes, on the, that comes on the floor that we would just sweep up, vacuum up, and throw out. She says, all I want, I just want this tiny piece. So Jesus' response to her is in 29. It says, and he said to her, because of this answer, go. The demon has gone out of your daughter. Verse 30. And going back to her home, she found the child lying on the bed, the demon having left. (laughs) I would imagine that Jesus is pretty ecstatic that somebody finally gets it. She knows that he can save her. This This is a picture of faith. This is probably the best picture of faith we've gotten in Mark so far. Or one of the best, one of the clearest. And Jesus responds, because of this answer, go, the demon has gone out from your daughter. She she doesn't respond by asking Jesus, oh, can you come with me just in case, you know, just to make sure, can you please? She she goes home, and it was just as Jesus said. There's no, Jesus doesn't say, you know, the demon be gone from your daughter. She just says, go home, it'll be just like you, just like you want it to be. We see confidence in Jesus. Jesus is obviously confident in his own power. But the woman doesn't question it. The woman, as soon as Jesus says go, she goes home. And it's significant. We get Mark, Mark never leaves us hanging. Mark always gives us the end of the picture. He says, and going back to her home, she found the child lying on her bed, the demon, the demon having left. I can't imagine how much freedom that must have, have brought for the woman, and obviously for, for, the, for her daughter, but also for, as a mom, I mean, I'm not a parent. Most of you are. You can, you can probably relate and understand how, how deep this mother must have been in pain for, for her child. Um, and so she, I, I imagine just through Jesus, she's able to finally, finally find rest. Rest she probably hasn't felt since the day that the daughter um, maybe was born. Maybe she's had a demon the whole time. Um, but it's really a, a beautiful picture. And we may ask, where are the disciples in this story? Mark, Mark again, keeps the, the focus on the woman and Jesus, the relationship there. If we turn back to Matthew 15, Matthew gives an account of this story as well. We kind of get a quick little glimpse into what the disciples were thinking. Um, it's, the same, the sa- it's the same story, um, different storyteller. It's in verse 23. Um, so she, she continually cries out. She's begging Jesus, please, please, please heal my daughter. 23 says, but he did not answer her word and his disciples came and implored him. They begged him. And that, the verb that they actually use in the original Greek is, it's not just they implored him once, they continually asked him. It's please Jesus. It's almost kind of a, a contrast. She's continually begging and they're continually begging, except for it's for completely two, different, uh, two completely different things. They're asking Jesus over and over again, send her away. She keeps shouting at us. And again, it's, they, the disciples miss it again. I mean, these are his, his, Jesus' best friends, and their hearts are hard. They don't see. They don't hear. They can hear. They hear this woman begging Jesus, 
but they don't hear, they don't spiritually hear her begging for Jesus to save her daughter. It's, they, we see such a callous indifference in the disciples. And it's, it's really sad. It's really sad. Because you'd expect, I mean, the people that have been with him his whole journey, you would expect they would be the first ones to get it. So that's the, that's kind of the first half. That's the first story. Um, we'll kind of come, we'll come back and, and tag these two together. I want to kind of dive into the second story before we do that. Um, so we'll start in verse 31. So after this, after this account, it says, Again, he went out from Tyre, the region of Tyre, came through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee within the region of Decapolis. So he actually goes north. Tyre is, Tyre is north of, of Galilee, north of Capernaum. He actually goes another 20 miles north to, to the Gentile region of Sidon. Uh, Sidon. And bef- before going back down to the edge of Galilee, but doesn't go into strictly Jewish territory, he goes around to Decapolis, which are 10 towns, which there's a mix. There's, um, there's an area, it's, it's very much uh, an area with Gentile ties, but there are also, uh, there's a, a, a significant Jewish population there as well. So we don't know whether the crowd um, that, that brings this man to Jesus is Gentile, Jewish, or probably more likely a, a mix of, of both. Um, so verses, or verse 32 says, they brought, they, the crowd brought to him one who was deaf and spoke with difficulty, and they implored him to lay his hand on him. And again, it says they implored him. They, it's the same word that we see the disciples, when the disciples say, Jesus, they implored him to send the woman away. The crowd implores Jesus to heal the man. Put your hand on the man. Put your hand on him. The man, has, is, the man is deaf, and he speaks with difficulty. Um, the idea is that there's probably some kind of disease that is set in because he, he, um, he can still speak, but there's lots of difficulty. There's some sort of impediment happening. Um, so maybe this is kind of, he's slowly had a, a degradation of, his, of his, um, his hearing and his speech. The word that Mark uses for his speech impediment, for spoke difficult, um, that he spoke difficultly or that um, he couldn't speak just right, is only, the word that he uses is only found in one other place in the entire Bible, and it's back in Isaiah, um, Isaiah 35. And I'll read, uh, it's verses 5 and 6. Let me read those for you. This is Isaiah 35, 5 and 6. It says, Then the eyes of the blind will be opened, and the ears of the deaf will be unstopped. Then the lame will leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute will shout for joy. This is, Isaiah, as we know, is very much a prophetical book. It's talking about God. God has the ability and power to do all these things and will bring that. And Isaiah is also, we see um, in reading it, is very much uh, prophetically talking about the Messiah. And so Mark, again, subtly uses these little hints, as we've seen, to say, hey, okay, in Isaiah, he talked about God bringing freedom to the deaf and to people that had these kind of speech impediments. So he uses the same word. It's, a, it's, it's not the normal word you would use. It's specifically taken from Isaiah 35. So we have this illusion that, that Mark uses this as uh, another literary device that Mark uses to, to, to give us this paint an even richer picture so that we can see, okay, the Messiah that Isaiah was talking about, this is him. Jesus is him, okay? Um, 
And, I, I, and that's very much, I think, significant. So we'll read verses 33 through 35. Jesus took him aside from the crowd by himself and put his fingers into his ears. And after spitting, he touched his tongue with the saliva. And looking up to heaven with a deep sigh, he said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened and the impediment of his tongue was removed and he began speaking plainly. The crowd brings this man to Jesus, begging him, heal him, heal him, heal him. Jesus doesn't, doesn't do it right then. He, he does it on his own terms. Takes the man by himself. It's a very intimate picture we get again. And we've seen this. Anytime Jesus heals someone, it's, there's always this intimate connection. Um, and Mark is very, uh, very, it's very intentional when, he, when he, he paints that picture for us. Takes the man out of, off to the side, out of sight, so that he can put his full attention on him. He, he switches the focus the crowd wants to focus on Jesus and his miracles or his, his magic, if you will. But Jesus says, no, I'm not. The focus isn't me and my miracles. The focus is this man needs, needs healing. I want to put my focus on this man. And that's what we see Jesus. Jesus has such a, a deep desire for personal relationship. We see that throughout the gospel. And that's, he has that for us today. It's, and that, that's highlighted here. And it, it, what a stark contrast to uh, are, are kind of the, 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 the healing pastors that kind of have their, their television shows and bring this big crowd and have it broadcast to millions and they do their healings. And how stark a contrast to does Jesus do here and saying, I want, to be, I want to be alone with this man. I don't need an audience. It's not about, it's not about, it's not about the glory. It's about, it's about relationship. And if we put ourselves in the man's shoes, the man's deaf, he can't hear a thing. The crowd's going nuts. He can't hear. He's probably thinking, what in the world is going on? Why are they pulling me? Why are they giving me this man? What? You know, and he can't, he can't speak clearly, so he can't ask the questions. So he's thinking, okay, I, I just imagine he's completely lost, probably very overwhelmed. So Jesus, again, as we saw in the section beforehand, he speaks the man's language. He comes and he says, you can see me, you can feel. So he, Jesus speaks, if you will, through sight and through touch. He puts his fingers in the man's ears. He takes some of his spittle, which we would probably say, that's really gross, don't do that. And he puts it on the man's tongue. We may think that's, that's weird, but Jesus is taking a part of himself, part of his life, putting it on the man, in the man. And this is something that he's done when he heals blind. We, we see him spit into the dirt and put the dirt on the eyes. I mean, we get this picture of Jesus using a part of himself, a physical part of himself, and putting it um, as a part, using that as a part of, of, of the healing. And I think there's a lot of power in that visualization of him giving a part of himself to the man. And I think at this point, the man probably is starting to get an idea of what, what might be happening here. He's probably... Pretty excited, I, w- I would imagine. Um, we then see deep emotion from Jesus and looking up to heaven. It's the same picture we get when Jesus looked up to heaven before he broke the loaves, uh, the loaves and the fish, before he fed the 5,000 men. It's, he looks up to heaven. It's that same idea of, I'm looking to the Father. I'm getting my power from above. It's that, that same picture we get. And then it says, with a deep sigh, 
he said, Ephatha. The same, that deep sigh is the same kind of language that Paul uses in Romans 8 when he talks about the spirit groaning on our behalf when we pray. It's the same, it's not this, it's a, it's the same language that, that, that Jesus uses, that, that Mark is using here. Then Jesus speaks in, his, in the Aramaic tongue, Ephatha. This is some magical spell. Mark wants to make that clear. That is, it just means be opened. And immediately, Jesus doesn't have to pray this really long, expansive prayer. He just says, be opened. He commands him, be opened. One word, two words to us, but one Aramaic word. And immediately the man, his ears were opened and his impediment, the impediment of his tongue was removed and he began speaking plainly. So he already knew how to speak, he, he just couldn't. Or, or maybe, maybe Jesus said, all right, now you, can, now you know how to speak too, but the fact that there was an impediment suggests that he already knew how to speak, he just couldn't speak well. So immediately this happens um, and he can speak plainly. He can speak the language again. And ending, ending here, we're in verse 36 and 37. It says, and he gave them, um, them being the crowd, them being the disciples, those around him, he gave them orders not to tell anyone, but the more he ordered them, the more widely they continued to proclaim it. They were utterly astonished, saying, he has done all things well. He makes even the deaf hear and the mute to speak. Understandably, the crowd is astonished. Um, it seems like they, they brought this man to test Jesus. Is this guy really, can he really do what he says he does? And he does it, and they're, they're impressed. Um, but they're impressed with the physical healing. But they miss the more important need for spiritual healing. And we see this a lot in scripture where they use physical impairments, whether it be blindness, deafness, um, being crippled, being unable to walk, they, where physical ailments are used as metaphors for a symptom of deeper spiritual problems. And how often does Jesus lament the fact that the disciples have ears and they can hear Jesus talking, but they don't get it. They don't understand. Or how often do we see the Pharisees? They hear Jesus. Jesus speaks very, very clearly to them. But how, instead of truly hearing it and, and receiving it into their hearts, they use his words as crowns to kill him, to put him on the cross. And I think this is why Jesus orders the people to not say anything because they only have this small picture. They see Jesus, they, they, don't have, they don't have a full understanding of Jesus as Messiah. In fact, Jesus always says, you see it time and time again, and it's confusing to us because we think, well, why wouldn't, I mean, if I just saw this happen, why wouldn't we want to tell people? Why wouldn't we want to go out and say, oh, I, I know this guy, he, he healed this guy, he gave him his, his hearing back, he, he's able to speak. Why wouldn't we want to share? But Jesus continually says, don't say anything. In fact, it's not until the Great Commission when Jesus says, go tell the world the good news of me, of Jesus. Until the disciples have the entire picture, not just these miracles, but also the cross and the empty tomb, the resurrection. Not until then does Jesus say, now, okay, now you have the whole story. Now go. I 
think we can relate to the crowd here. I think we can relate to disciples. I, I, I mean, we... Who wouldn't want to tell everyone they saw this amazing miracle? The irony lies in verse 37 when they say, he has done all things well. This is an allusion to creation. God looking over creation saying, it's all good. It's really good. The crowd is saying, Jesus, he does, he's really good at doing these things. He even makes the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. They say this, but do they, are they themselves spiritually are they still blinded and deaf? They take the physical healing and they run with it and they go and tell everyone, but they miss the deeper spiritual healing that Jesus has to offer. And that's, they don't have eyes to see and they don't have ears to hear. And that's, the, that's a word that Jesus says constantly to disciples. And he says constantly to, when he teaches, if you have ears, let them hear. If you have ears, Hear the spiritual meaning behind the physical words that I'm about to say. In, this entire, in, in these two stories, the, woman, the Gentile woman and um, Jesus' healing, who do we see that gets it? I mean, we saw from, from Matthew's account of the text that the disciples don't get it. The crowds don't get it. The only person to get it is the last person that anyone would ever expect in this day. A Gentile woman. Someone that is an enemy of the Jews. Someone that doesn't have the, the churchy understanding that, that the Pharisees had. A person that is in complete political opposition the Jews are in complete political opposition to the Gentiles and she is the only one that gets it. Church, do we get it? Can we hear what Jesus is saying? Can we see the things Jesus is doing? And that's where that's where the question, what is God saying to you, that's where it stems from. We know that the Kairos card in the bulletin is, is it's a challenge. It really is. It's very challenging. But Paul says in Hebrews 4 that the word is living and active and sharper than a two-edged sword. If that's true, if we believe that to be true, then God can speak to us through the scriptures. God can speak to us. That's all right. God can speak to us through, through these, these pages and this text. Knowing that, knowing that, look at today's text. Look at what we read. Look at what we talked about. Think back to what you heard. And identify, reflect back, identify what stood out to you. What what stands out? Because if we really believe that this word is truly living and active, then it's not an accident when something stands out to you. If we have the Holy Spirit within us and we are reading 
the word of God, it is not an accident when something stands out or when something pops out at us. God is always speaking to us and we believe that. We should believe that. But do we have ears to hear? Do we have eyes to see? So I challenge you, in, in the space that we have, just reflect. Reflect on, reflect on the scriptures. Reflect on what, what we talked about today. Maybe talk about it with your spouse or discuss it with, with those around you or discuss it when you, when you go to lunch today or go to brunch or when you're on your drive home. That's how we can discern what God is saying to us, not by just thinking intellectually about it, but by reflecting on the words, the living, active, sharper than a two-edged sword, word of God, by discussing it with our community, with the people around us, the people that we, it's not an accident, the person you're sitting next to, it's not an accident, the building that you're in. You're here for a reason. Discuss it with those around you. And then when you finally see, okay, I think I kind of get what God's saying to me here. For me, my kairos in this is pride. Is, and <laughs> very much like Jesus, that is not the first time he has said, Lee, you're really prideful, bro. You have a lot of pride in you. And the contrast of the woman, her deep humility out of this desperation. We don't, we don't want to be desperate. We don't want to be desperate for anything. We want to have it all together. But this woman is put in a situation where she has no, she has no other reaction. She cannot react in any other way but desperation. She has tried everything. So she swallows her pride. Her, she swallows the fact that she's a Gentile and she's politically opposite of Jesus. She, she puts all that aside. She comes bows before Jesus. She gets low out of reverence, out of desperation, but also out of understanding that she is powerless and Jesus is the only one. Jesus is the only place she, she has hope. She gets that, and I don't get that. I don't get it. I want to be in control. I want to be able to live under my own power. And I think through talking through reflecting on this text, through talking with Katie, I feel like that's what God's saying to me. So I challenge you to ask the same question. What is God saying to you through the text? Talk about it. Reflect on it. Talk about it. And then don't let it stop there. Do something about it. If, I'm, if I believe that God is saying you need to be more humble, what are ways I can do that? I've started to try to give, to give some money to the people that are on the side of the road. I used, to, I used to think that was silly, honestly. I used to think, oh, they're probably just gonna buy booze or who knows what else. But I realized I was putting the money that God has blessed me with in my own hands and not saying, God, if I give it to this person, I don't know what you're gonna, I don't know what they're gonna do with it, but I can trust that God is, going to, God is going to use it in a powerful way. We have to act on, 
We have to do something about it. What is God saying to do? That's the, that's the second question in the Kairos card is not just to think, not just to understand what God is saying. Once we hear, what does it say in the scriptures? How foolish are those that hear the words Jesus is saying and do nothing. So if you're hearing the word of Jesus today, through the text, if you're hearing God, talk. Talk amongst yourselves. Discuss it with others. Once you hear, then do. Don't let it stop at the hearing and understanding. Do. Let me pray for us. Holy Spirit, continue the work you're doing in me. Continue the work you're doing in everyone here. You are so good, Lord. We need you. We confess that. Sometimes we don't want to need you. Or sometimes we don't realize we need you. But we thank you for your faithfulness, even through, even through our deaf ears, Lord. We thank you that you, you don't... You never stop talking to us, even when we don't hear. You never stop loving us, even when we can't see. So I pray in the name of Jesus today that you would open our ears, unplug our ears from anything that, anything that, is, that we are giving our ears to, anything that we are listening to that is not of you. Put that aside. Give us eyes to see. Remove the scales from our eyes in the same way you removed scales from Paul's eyes when he was blind. If there's anything, anything blocking us from, uh, blocking our eyes from seeing you, we ask that you'd put it to the side, Lord. Help us to turn our eyes to you. To look full at your wonderful face and that is then and only then will the things of earth grow strangely dim in the light of your glory and your grace, Father. You alone are good, Jesus. We believe in you. Help our unbelief, God. Give us ears to hear. Thank you for the cross. Come, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen.